You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of shirim on the inner world of addiction. And tonight being the eighth class is going to be titled Irreducible Hope. Now, like many of the other classes, and as we're going to see in particular, deeply connected to two weeks ago, the last class that we gave on the nature of time and recovery and addiction, we're going to find by the question of hope and hopelessness, that there's a paradoxical relationship, almost an inversion of terms, that while we will be able to identify some of the roots of the potential towards addiction within the despair and the hopelessness that the potential addict finds themselves in, there's also going to be a way that the recovering individual, the individual on the path towards self-redemption, moving out and beyond the self-constriction of their abject experience in potential addiction or addiction itself, we're going to find that hopelessness can even play a positive role within the space of the individual in recovery. Now, much like we've been talking about in the name of the Ramban, when God, in order to sweeten the bitter waters, throws a bitter tree so that the bitter sweetens the bitter, showing that deeply encased within the threat or the sickness itself lies embedded the root of the cure, or like we saw in the name of the Sefer Yetzirah and the students of the Baal Shem Tov, that the word nega, sara'as, which is representative of any form of spiritual illness, also contains the same building blocks, the same potencies and the letters, the spiritual DNA of oneg, of pleasure, thereby showing that in order to remove oneself from the nega, in order to remove and elevate oneself and purify oneself from within the fallen, broken state of sickness of the soul, an individual need not seek out alternative pathways and byways to find redemption, but a person has the capacity to work with the experience that they have. That minei ubei avenagre, that from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe, like we've said so often in Nishirim. And we're going to find that within the pagam, within the sickness of hopelessness and despair, there abides a kernel of hope, There abides a kernel that can transform everything from the negative into the positive. Like Rabbi Nassim of Nimrav said, and we use so often in these series of shirim, yesh inyan There is an inyan, there is something, a nondescript concept that when applied to any confrontation with any person, place, or thing, gives us the ability to transform it from something negative towards something positive. So even within hopelessness itself, as we're going to see, there rests a kernel or the beginning step towards elevating ourselves out of our brokenness and into the light of fixing ourselves and redemption from addiction or the potential towards addiction. Now, as we're going to see, 
two weeks ago, we spoke about the temporality of the potential addict, that the potential addict, both in its sickness as well as in, in its cure, finds themselves saturated with momentary consciousness, that the past is no longer something that we can rest ourselves on because it provokes a depression about missed opportunities and things falling away. The future provokes us into a state of anticipatory fear of an anxious preparation for something that is burgeoning, for something that has not yet arrived, but promises some threaten, threatening to the self or to the soul or to the spirit. So the past and the future lose their viability of providing any solace for the individual, and therefore the addict, the potential addict, as well as the recovering individual, finds themselves throwing themselves into the moment, into the momentary, moment-by-moment -moment lifestyle of being here in the present moment, no longer looking to the past and no longer looking to the future. And as we're going to see, the question of hope, the redemption of hopelessness, redeeming ourselves from the pits of despair that we find ourselves in so often, is really only going to be a possibility once we carry with ourselves that, tempor that temporal consciousness, that recognition that all we have in front of us is the present moment itself, that hope inflames the present moment. Hope is an openness to the future. Hope is an awareness that the past and all the things that have taken, past, taken place in the past are not simply part of some monolithic eternal repetition where that which happened in the past will happen today and happen tomorrow ad infinitum, but rather the present moment offers us, like we saw last uh, two weeks ago in the words of Walter Benjamin in his rectification of the being towards death that Heidegger Yamachimo spoke so often about, that we find that each and every moment offers itself to us as the potential opening unto which we can find expansion of the self, redemption of the self, and hope towards something bigger than that which is present. But before beginning to understand the redemptive quality of hopelessness and the hope that abides within hopelessness itself, it behooves us to understand the sickness of hopelessness and despair that according to many theorists and according to many philosophers of the conditions of postmodern Western world experience, hopelessness rests at the core of that which is driving this devouring engine of the despair and addiction that seems to be overtaking the world as we speak. Now, when speaking about addiction, when speaking about the drives of what pushes a person to find solace in some sort of substantiality beyond themselves, what pushes a person to find comfort in their pain on some intoxicant, on some mind-altering chemical experience, idea, thought, relationship, many individuals point to the fact that in their sober state, and sobriety doesn't simply mean abstinence from a mind-altering chemical, but sobriety means seriousness. The original translation of the word sober prior to it being utilized to represent abstinence from a mind-altering chemical, a sober mindset was one of seriousness, of severity, of a person who took the world at first glance and saw that this is serious business that we're dealing with, that life is not something that can be laughed at, but life is something that must be lived in all of its severity. And when a person confronts sobriety in all of its fullness, the severity of being in this world, the realization that things fall apart and the center cannot hold. And when a person is sensitive enough or open-minded enough to peer and to mimit modate and to stand in front of the things that make them anxious, a person can very quickly lose hope. A person can look around them and they can find despair everywhere. 
one of the greatest descriptions of this condition of what it means to be a potential addict is actually a song that I grew up with thanks to my parents from, I believe it's Natalie Merchant. Now, I'm not sure if it's Natalie Merchant, but anyway, in 98 or 97, there was a cover article written by, the, by Rolling Stone magazine about the Smashing Pumpkins drummer who had died as the result of a heroin addiction. And in response to this article about young rock stars and young musicians who were dying of heroin addiction, Natalie Merchant wrote a song in the arms of the angels. And in the song in the arms of the angels, there's a lyric where Natalie Merchant describes the conditionality of what leads to addiction, which is that there's never a reason to feel not good enough. There's never not a reason to feel not good enough. And it's hard at the end of the day. I need some distraction, oh beautiful, memories seep through my veins. Now in her description of this condition, which she saw so many people falling into the, the hold of addiction, she states that there's never not a reason to feel not good enough. That the sensitivity that the addict or the potential addict has when they confront this worldliness and all of its brokenness, as we saw, that brokenness which in its deepest form is part of the optimal experience of this world, the shirat hakelim, the shattering of the vessels, these souls that feel that this world does not have what I need, that my soul has tasted something that's rooted in a place much higher than this world. For a person like that, for the soul of Kayan, for the neshama, for the soul of the Balchuva, who needs to be broken before being fixed, there's never any opportunity where I don't have enough of a reason to find myself in despair. Anybody with enayim pesuchot, anybody with open eyes, when they look at the day-to-day -day experience of individuals and the suffering that abides in the world, which Chazal and our teachers were profoundly aware of, that the world is animated by trauma, there's always a reason to be hopeless. There's always a reason to find despair. The simple fact that when I put my hand in my pocket, according to Chazal, to take out a dollar, and instead I only find 75 cents, that lowercase t trauma, that suffering, that realization that what I want is not what I get, that my will does not determine the fabric of my day-to-day -day reality, that's enough of a trauma to create depression. That's enough of a trauma to create despair and hopelessness. And this hopelessness pushes people into substance abuse to find comfort, artificial comfort outside of themselves because the conditionality and the conditions of this worldliness are not providing what I need for myself. For the soul that demands more, for the soul that wants something bigger than this world has to offer, for the soul that cannot rest, that is always seeking out something more, what's coming next, desiring to fill the holes that animate the source of who we are. Like we said so often, the source of the addicted spirit is the reality that I lack, therefore I am. And because that lack becomes painful, because that void becomes painful and it needs to be filled, we seek out solace and we seek out comfort in any form of substantiality, anything that's going to make our lives feel more sturdy. Now, it's not only the potential addict or the addict that finds themselves in a hopeless state, but their addiction itself, the condition of being stuck in a behavior that brings with it negative consequences. Yet in spite of the negative consequences, the addict or the potential addict is incapable of extricating themselves from their negative behavior. Because on a neurological basis for the addict or the potential addict, whatever behavior is bringing about the comfort is no longer seen as a desire or a want that I truly enjoy, but it's seen as a need that provides me with the basic ability to survive. 
that for the addict, the desire or the potential addict, the desire to attach myself to the substantiality, which in spite of the comfort it brings me, brings discomfort to my loved ones. And it pushes me off of my game and it doesn't allow me to function as properly as I would like to. For the person who has become stuck, aduk, and attached to this type of behavior, it's not a question of want anymore, it's a question of need. So that the addict, when they find themselves, or the potential addict, when they find themselves stuck in this process of behaviors, they also confront hopelessness. It's hopelessness that led me to this behavior. And when I find myself stuck in this behavior, what I meet is hopelessness again. So it's hopelessness in the beginning, and it's hopelessness and despair on the end. Hopelessness when I confront the world which has pushed me to try and find solace and comfort outside of myself. And hopelessness is what I confront when I realize that, oh my gosh, this behavior is destructive, but I can't remove myself from it. I can't extricate myself from it. My free choice, my Bechiru Chavshis has been compromised by the sense of need and the demand, the urgency that the addict or the potential addict lives with at every moment of their lives. That every moment creates either pain, like we saw in the last class, or the opportunity for comfort. And each moment is more intense than it should be. And so the only way that I can respond is either by engaging with the behavior that offers sustenance, this intoxicating substance of whatever it might be for the addict or the potential addict, or I look back at the world that I'm coming to escape from and I confront hopelessness again. When people talk about the epidemic, the opiate epidemic, or the addiction epidemic that we find ourselves confronting in the current moment, in 2019, everybody has an opinion as to where the root of addiction is rooted, whether it's a neurobiological disorder, whether it's an issue of choice, whether it's predicated on genetic disposition because of my grandparents or parents or behavioral disposition, whether it's based on moral and ethic failures, whether it's based on a failure of spirituality, all of the myriad opportunities that people have to offer reasoning for addiction and for the purpose that, and the reason addiction is finding itself in its roaring stage right now, everybody has an opinion. It's the pharmaceutical company's fault. It's the legalization fault. But what people do not speak of is the fact that the world is in a deep state of despair. Without confronting the despair that abides within the household of each and every individual in the year 2019, we can't begin to understand why addiction and why mind-altering substances have become so prevalent. That only when we confront and only when we understand that for most young individuals, for this generation, the world is no longer the world that our parents had lived in. The things that were certain are non-certain and uncertain now. The things that were stabilized have been removed. The structures of power that we used to place our hope in that, that gave us the capacity to sleep comfortably at night have rustled and have lost their stability and have created in us a sense of dread and despair. Without confronting the abiding sense of despair and hopelessness that lives in the heart of young individuals and individuals who live within this generation, we can never begin to understand why addiction is so powerful. Because addiction is always a response to a sense of hopelessness. This object, this substance is the only thing that at this point in my mind can provide me with any comfort or solace in the world. And when a person looks at a world that's broken or burning or on fire and filled with trauma and broken promises and untruths that abide and occlude the truthfulness of this reality, so it's no wonder that a person seeks comfort 
and seeks relief in some sort of substance beyond themselves. Anything to escape the despair and the hopelessness. And it's specifically at this place where the addict begins to confront, or the potential addict begins to confront the sheer reality of hopelessness. The fact that as a subject, I am no longer relating to the future. Hope, by definition, is a future-oriented attitude or posture. Hope animates me and tells me that there is something that can come into my momentary experience right now and change the circumstances of my life. That there is something that can come from a place of otherness, of a revach v'hatzala from a makom acher, from a place that I don't have a grasp of right now. Hope is born out of the belief that the future can provide for me something that the present and the past have been lacking. And when it comes to recovering from addiction or the potential towards addiction, or better stated, when it comes to redeeming and elevating the addicted experience itself, what we need to do is we need to become future-oriented. We need to allow the moment that we find ourselves in, like Walter Benjamin said in the last class that we gave, that every moment becomes a gate through which the Messiah can enter. That Messiah doesn't mean a political or a sociological or a nationalistic experience of redemption, but Messiah for each and every one of us on our own particular levels with our own particular brokenness and our own particular exile simply means the redemptive experience where I find myself endowed with new strength that I did not have previously. Where I now find myself capable of overcoming that which previously I felt that I can no longer overcome. Of karva el-nafshi gi'ala, that redemption, in spite of its collective and nationalistic aspect, which remains future-oriented, we have the capacity to bring down our own individualized and particularized form of redemptive experience whereby we can free ourselves and extricate ourselves from the constriction of our hopelessness and our despair. That finding hope and allowing the future to melt into the present, to allow this old, boring, stuckness of this experience to be opened and, and, and made new through the possibility of the future, where the future says that the present can change. And that it's not simply a reoccurrence or an eternal repetition of the old. That's where I find hope. And that's where the possibility of recovery or the posture of recovery comes from. When a person who has been living in the darkness of despair and the darkness of hopelessness as to the circumstances of their lives, as well as their capacity to change the circumstances or alter the circumstances of their behaviors, the only thing that can change us, the only thing that can open us up is the promise of hope. But the question is, where does the recovering individual find hope? Where does the person who comes to extricate themselves, to pull themselves out of the pit of despair, the abysmal sense that there is nothing that I can do that can change my circumstances? There is nothing that I can do, no effort that I can exert, no prayer that I can offer that is going to pull me out of my circumstantial stuckness. Where does the potential recovering individual, where does the neshama find for itself the strength, the promise that the future can be different than the present moment? And that the old is not simply going to, repeated, to be repeated ad infinitum in the Groundhog Day nature of addiction, where same stuff, different day, 
where what I experienced yesterday is what I experienced today is what I'll experience tomorrow. And Ein Chadash Tachas Hashemesh, and this eternal reoccurrence and repetition of the old, where I find myself stuck in the boredom of the soul, suffocated by the lack of excitement and newness, how do we open ourselves up to the possibility of change? to the possibility of changing our circumstances, of hoping to be different than what we are at this present moment. And here we confront the paradox. And like much of what we've been speaking about in these shiurim, in these classes, whether it's been Rav Kook or the Leshem or the addiction shiurim, so much of it is animated by the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. So Rabbi Nachman famously became the spokesperson of hope. Because for Rabbi Nachman, the main call, the main churuz, the main announcement that he had for his chassidim, both in his time and in future generations, was the simple truth that the most significant thing that a spiritual individual can do in the process of rectifying their brokenness is to not lose hope, is to not give in to despair. One gets the sense from the amount of time and the amount of energy that Rabbi Nachman's Chusei placed into promising to us that the worst thing that we can ever do is lose hope, one gains the sense almost that Rabbi Nachman understood so deeply that losing hope is easy, that falling into despair is rational, that when a person looks at the world around us, whatever historical moment or whatever circumstantial space a person finds themselves in, there's always enough of a reason to fall into despair. And one senses from Rabbi Nachman's call and demand and the urgent call to never give in to despair, that Rabbi Nachman on a certain level understood what we would be experiencing in our lives in 2019, when despair is the most rational approach. And despair leads us to trying to self-medicate and try and find artificial substances to provide us with an artificial sense of well-being which takes us out of this world, an artificial sense of transcendence, which is nothing but an escape, which is nothing but a lie, which is nothing but a he'elem and a hester from what this world can actually offer us. The attempt to intoxicate oneself with that substantiality that stands outside of this world is what takes us away from the midst of life, is what removes us from the Tosefes bracha, from the bracha of Chayim, from the bracha of becharta b'chayim, of choosing life, of living life on life's terms, of abiding within the world in spite of its nature and its consequences, of recognizing that we must accept that which we cannot change and try and change that which we can. And once we've done that, all we can do is face the world with our two eyes and our hands open to Shemayim and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, here I am. I am living in the world that you have placed me in. That is where a person finds their spiritual sustenance. The attempt to become intoxicated on some foreign substance, which provides an artificial sense of well-being and perfection, like we saw from the Beis Yaakov, that drive, that comes from this despair. So for Rabbi Nachman, he understood that. And Rabbi Nachman says that a person must never lose hope. A person must never give in to despair. But when Rabbi Nachman talks about not giving in to despair, we find a certain contradiction in terms. Now, as a source text, we're going to be looking at Lukutim Maharan Tinyana, the second volume of Rabbi Nachman's collected teachings. And this is going to be Torah 78. And here, if we pay attention to the text, 
And those who believe in Rabbi Nachman understand that as much as you believe in Rabbi Nachman, you believe in the specificity of the text and the precision that each word in the Sefer of Lukut Maharan offers to an extent that each word that is offered means that every other word that was not used also is teaching us something. Rabbi Nachman says as follows in the 78th teaching in the second volume of his teachings. V'haklal, and the general rule, ki asur the ya'eshas atzmo, it is forbidden for a person to give up hope. It is forbidden for a person to find themselves in despair. Because even an individual who is a simple individual who cannot do anything in terms of spiritual activity, or a person who finds themselves in a space, both psychologically or physically, where they can no longer engage in spirituality, afal pikein, and like we said so often, this famous afal pikein of Rabbi Nachman, that nevertheless, which for Rabbi Nachman means that you may have thought that what we're talking about right now no longer applies to spirituality, but I'm coming to show you, says Rabbi Nachman, that it's specifically in the counterintuitive essence of spirituality that spirituality can be found. That afal pikein, in spite of all of your assumptions and postulations about what spirituality is, even when a person is so broken and so fallen and so far and has given up hope in themselves and has lost hope in their ability to change their behaviors because I've said to myself so often that I'm going to change because I've promised myself and my spouse and my children and Hashem and the world and my job and all of the people in my life that matter that I'm going to change that I can change, yes, I can change. And I promise that things are going to be different. And I find myself in the reoccurring nightmare that in spite of my best efforts, in spite of my best desires, in spite of the deepest rut zone that abides at the heart of hearts, I find myself stuck in the same conditions that I was stuck in yesterday. And I'm miyayish and I lose hope in my capacity to change. And I lose hope in the capacity to be loved. And I lose hope in the belief that I deserve to be loved by God, by my fellow individual, by myself. These are the conditions that Rabbi Nachman is speaking to. Rabbi Nachman is not speaking to the person who stands at the apex of spiritual experience. Rabbi Nachman is speaking to the person in the deepest, darkest pits of spiritual abnegation, of loss of self, of loss of hope in self, of despair. And Rabbi Nachman comes along and says, Afal P came. Nevertheless, Dafka specifically there, that's where you're capable of finding hope. And Rabbi Nachman continues and he says, a person who finds themselves in Shol Tachtios, in the depths and the abysmal depths of self-questioning, where I can no longer offer a word of comfort to myself. If I'm able to be a person must strengthen themselves in any way that they can. That even the person that finds themselves in the hopeless space of despair, in that sunken place where they're unable to extricate themselves from the darkness of their experience, it's specifically there that a person must uncover the potencies and the infinite reservoirs of hope. To strengthen themselves in any possible way, and Rabbi Nachman says in his faithful words here, which have become a calling card, which have become a rallying cry, which have become a revolutionary trope that each person who finds themselves broken and shattered and hurt by the darkness and the despair that abides within this world, 
that there is no despair, there is no losing hope in this world. But when we look at this teaching in the 78th teaching of the second volume of Lukutim Maran, we confront a significant paradox if we take the words of Rabbi Nachman seriously. In the beginning, Rabbi Nachman tells us that it's forbidden for a person to lose hope. It's forbidden for a person to despair. It's forbidden to a person to think that they're stuck in their behavior simply because it's what they've done yesterday and every day beforehand. When something is forbidden, the implication is that it's possible for me to do it, but I have to refrain from it because it's asur, it's forbidden. The prohibition against something, the threat of a transgression implies that it's a possibility. What Rabbi Nachman says, asur lehityayish, which is already based in the statement of Chazal and Masechus Prochos, that afilu adam, even when the sword is placed on the neck, on the bare neck of the individual, al that a person should not lose hope in the capacity of God's mercy. The implication is that losing hope is a possibility, despair is an ontological reality, but it's forbidden for me. So on the one hand, Rabbi Nachman says that despair and the loss of hope is possible, but that it's forbidden for us. But then when we look at the end of Rabbi Nachman's teaching, he says, Ki ein shum And he doesn't only say it, he screams it. And Rabbi Nassim says that Rabbi Nachman was screaming something, it means that it came from every fiber of his being. In Yiddish, which I'll mispronounce, Rabbi Nassim writes as follows, Amar az there's no Yayush in the world. And he elongated and he spent time on those words of Ein Yayush. There's no loss of hope. It doesn't exist. Despair is a non-entity. Ontologically, it has no self-sustaining essence. That it doesn't exist. The Amram B'Kayach Gadol. And he said it with great strength. With a great depth and a profound essence. That when Rabbi Nassim says that Rabbi Nachman told us that despair doesn't exist and that he stressed this and he yelled it with all of his strength in order to tell it for generation to come, he's speaking directly to us that Rabbi Nachman had a number of students. All of them were capable of understanding the Chiddush of Rabbi Nachman was. The difference between Rabbi Nassim of Nimrov, who became the scribe of Rabbi Nachman, is that he understood that there's something here for generations. There's something nitzchi here. There's something eternal here. There's something that in 2019, each and every neshama who finds himself stuck within the possibility of despair, with the impulsion towards despair, with the tendency towards despair, that there's something that Rabbi Nachman is saying now 200 years ago, 250 years ago, which each soul needs to hear. So how do we allow for this paradox? On the one hand, it's usher to be mityayish. It's forbidden to be mityayish. That losing hope and losing hope in our capacity to choose how we want to act based on our Bechira is forbidden. It's an Isser, it's a prohibition, it's a transgression, which as we said implies that it's still a possibility. It exists, yet we're not supposed to pay attention to it. And on the other hand, there's no concept of despair in the world, that despair doesn't exist. 
So on the one hand, despair is forbidden, yet on the other hand, despair doesn't exist. So how do we align? How do we resolve this paradox? And it's specifically here that I feel that Rabbi Nachman is offering something profound to the individual who finds himself stuck in any addiction, no matter what the addictive substance might be. Whether it's a thought or a behavior or an attitude or an old story or a chametz that is stuck in our lives for a little bit longer than it needs to be or an idea about our loved one, or an expectation or a resentment that we're holding. Whatever the chametz, whatever that thing which has stuck along for too long is, Rabbi Nachman is offering us an insight into how to extricate ourselves from it, from whatever we're stuck in, from whatever we're addicted to, or potentially addicted to. Now, in order to try and be miyashiv, in order to try and resolve this contradiction or this paradox in terms that Rabbi Nachman animates for us, which on the one hand, it's usser, it's forbidden to lose hope, implying that hope is, losing hope is a possibility, yet it's usser. On the other hand, hope doesn't, loss of hope doesn't exist. So there's no need for a prohibition against it. What I'd like to try and analyze is the profound capacity of the loss of hope to provide an individual with a newfound strength. That when a person looks at the 12 steps of recovery as explicated in Alcoholics Anonymous, and again, Alcoholics Anonymous is not utilized in these series of classes because it's the only approach to recovery. But Alcoholics Anonymous, as explicated by Bill W. and Dr. Bob in the early 1930s, remains one of the most fertile grounds for analyzing the phenomenology of recovery, the experience of recovery and addiction. Because these were the first individuals to look at the conditionality of addiction, to look at substance abuse, to look at the stuckness that we have with particular objects, and to say that this is not the body. This is not simply a body question. This is not simply a physiological addiction, but there's something spiritual here. There's something that goes to the core of who the individual is. There's something that goes to the core of questions of essence and meaning and purpose and spirituality and divinity and transcendence. That AA opened the door to look at addiction, not simply as a condition that certain sick and perverse individuals find themselves in, but rather as a condition that each and every person, no matter where they are, can find themselves in simply by virtue of being a human being. That when we look at the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, it reads as follows. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol or any other substance or any behavior as we've been talking about this year, and our lives have become unmanageable. That we have admitted we are powerless that one of the most confounding and difficult things for individuals who are entering into a space of recovery to do is acknowledge their powerlessness. Because the addict or the alcoholic or the potential addict or the potential alcoholic, when they finally find the capacity to reach out for help, they've lost hope in themselves. They acknowledge their powerlessness. They acknowledge that there's something that's beaten them, that this behavior has overtaken my bechira. So why the need to reiterate my powerlessness? Why the need to reiterate my weakness? But it's specifically in this acknowledgement of limitation, in my hasaga, in my acceptance of the fact that I am a balgvul, that as a human being, I am not God. And by dint of the fact that I am not God, that means that I am finite and I am limited. And by dint of the fact that I am limited, it means that I lack something and that there's something that I cannot do on my own. That the acknowledgement of powerlessness is what we've been talking about throughout these series of classes, which is the acknowledgement of lack. 
the acknowledgement of the desire that outlives the satisfaction that is offered to that desire. The fact that the neshama wants more than this world can offer because the neshama of Tohu, the neshama of the Balchuva, the neshama of the students of Beishamai, those severe souls that come from a place of intense expression of light and potency, of oros de Tohu bekelim de tzikun, of the lights of chaos and the rectified vessels of rectification, these souls want more from this world. And we must recognize because we don't have what we want that we lack and that we're powerless. Powerlessness is not an acknowledgement of a weakness, but it's an affirmation of the human condition. And it's, acknowledge, it's an acknowledgement that I am imperfect and that is specifically where I have the capacity of finding my imperfection. But the first step is difficult because it's a loss of hope. I lose hope in my ability to control myself. I am powerless. So how could it be that a disease, a condition, addiction, which is rooted in loss of hope, which is rooted in despair, which is rooted in the hopelessness that we experience in this world, how could it be that the way out of it is by loss of hope, is by acknowledging powerlessness? But based on what we've been discussing in the shirim until now, we can understand very well that sometimes within the sickness, the cure itself abides. That that from the forest itself, from the concealment of the trees that block clarity, I develop the weapon or the tool or the axe that gives me the capacity to chop down these trees. That like Rabbi Nelson says, from the place that I fall in, I can elevate myself as well. And in order to understand the spiritual potency of hopelessness, of despair, of losing hope in oneself, we're going to look at the words of the Rebbe Rashab in Hemshech Samachvav. And this is going to be the second day of Rosh Hashanah, so it's at the beginning of the Sefer on the 21st. I'm sorry, I'm giving the wrong Makor. It's going to be on the 37th page. And this is already when the Rebbe Rashab was by Sukkot, so it's not Rosh Hashanah. And because of the power of the words of the Rabbi Rashab, which really, if they had not been written, I wouldn't believe that they could be written, I'm going to read the words and try and translate a little bit to show how hopelessness, how despair, how acknowledgement of powerlessness can paradoxically actually provide an individual with the capacity or a deeper ability to choose their direction in life and to change the direction and to change the trajectory of their lives. The Rabbi Rashab says as follows, that when a person confronts the hopelessness of their status, when a person confronts the sheer reality of the fact that I cannot change myself right now, that there's something overwhelming here in my life, like Neil Young would say, helpless, 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 this profound song that describes this beautiful southern experience of being outside in the trees and hearing the birds chirping and Daika because he's embracing the expansiveness of reality and the expansiveness of nature the only response that he has is helpless 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 is lacely the garment clum that i have nothing of my own that i am powerless is in confrontation in response in relationship with the expansivity of the world that this feeling is a it's a movement of the self. It's an expression of the self in deep bitterness. This is an amazing Yiddish with a very strong sense of not goodness, of no goodness. Like Rabbi Nachman says in his first story of Avedas Pasmelech, that when the king gets angry at his daughter, the Shrina, the presence of God in this world, he says, may, may the no good one take you. 
that there's no goodness in the world. This potency, this, this posturing towards despair that we confront in the world when we look at it on our personal level and on our collective level, that this experience of saying no good, that it's not good, that I'm, I'm powerless, that I lack strength, there is a deep movement of the soul. And because the soul is moving, because the soul, when it confronts its hopelessness, because the soul, when it confronts its status as one that cannot change the direction of their behaviors, nevertheless, there's a hamshacha, I'm drawing something down into my spirit. Because anytime my spirit is awake, anytime my soul, anytime something about my body is awake, I'm drawing something new in. And it's reminiscent and almost synonymous with the movement of the soul that takes place when a desire, a level of godliness and spirituality and comfort and redemption in this world that I can't handle. But because it's so great and because it comes from such a deep place in myself, I'm not even capable of understanding what's happening. Yes, my heart is awake. Yes, something is taking place. But what is taking place, I have no capacity to explain to myself or to another person. That in spite of the fact that this spiritual movement is taking place there as a result of hopelessness and despair, nevertheless, it's a spiritual movement nonetheless, and it draws down a capacity of myself and the intensity of my spirit that I can't put words to. And at that moment, all that a person feels is the pain and the bitterness of being far from God, being far from spirituality, being stuck in the stuckness of the sunken place, being attached to all modes of substantiality and physicality. But what I don't feel at this moment of despair and hopelessness is the fact that I'm drawing down on a deep level of godliness into my life. I'm drawing on the reservoirs of my soul. This is the aspect of the silent voice that animates and, and resounds within my spirit that cannot even be heard by myself. It's the silent echoes. It's the footsteps that move within my spirit telling me that things are going to be better, but when I try and identify them, I have no ability to identify where that hope is coming from. It's the hope that abides within hopelessness itself. Like the Rabbi Roshab says, that this this silent voice within my soul that resounds and tells me that things can change in spite of the fact that I can't find the hope to change, that's the screaming of my heart. That's the screaming of my heart to come closer to God, to come closer to redemption. And the Rabbi Roshab says that in spite of the fact that all I feel is hopelessness right now, in spite of the fact that all I feel is nothing but the pain of this world, in truth, there is a deep experience, a deep and intensified experience of drawing down light of godliness into the soul. But it's unconscious. I don't feel it. I don't have the kalim. I don't have the vessels to receive it. Because at this moment, what I'm drawing down comes by way of distance. I'm hopeless and I'm despairing because life doesn't go the way I want it to be. But in this tsar, in this marirus, I'm dafka, afa pikein, like Rabbi Nachman would say, I'm drawing down hope into myself. 
that when I find myself in the conditionality of my addiction or my potential towards addiction, what I find myself doing is screaming out to God specifically by way of distance, by saying, I can't change, but when I acknowledge my powerlessness and my inability to change, what I'm also saying is, God, change me. Is I'm saying that Hashem, I can't change myself. That the acknowledgement of powerlessness, of the bitl ha'ani, of the negation of the self, is also an affirmation of the higher self. When I undo and negate all of the preventions and all of the concealment that my ego provides between me and my higher power, when I lose hope in it, when I lose all hope in my human efforts of containing and controlling my behavior or my substance abuse or my drive for substantiality, what I make room for is something from beyond myself, a power that is beyond my human effort. And the Rebbe Rashab continues and he says, And at this moment, in spite of the fact that I'm drawing down godliness to my soul from a place of distance, one that is unconscious, one that I don't have words for, one that is nonverbal to myself and to others, in spite of the bitterness, at that moment, I'm running away from negativity. I'm running towards this hope, this silent hope that abides deeply within the voices of hopelessness. I'm running away from death. When I acknowledge the fact that I'm dead in this world, that I don't have hope, that the despair that I find myself stuck in stops me from finding more life, it's specifically there in the makum of Misa. It's specifically there where I feel I have lost all hope. That I have the capacity of drawing down a chayus, a life force, a potency of vitality that didn't exist previously. A life force so deep, a potency so deep, a hope so deep that it can even revive hopelessness. A hope so deep that it can even say to despair that you do not exist. And naturally, without my choice, I run to a place of life. But the Rebbe Rashad says profoundly in a way that is almost frightening to think about because the Rebbe Rashad had his finger on his pulse of this experience. He says, at that moment, what I feel most is running away. I feel myself hopeless. But the Rebbe Rashad continues and he says, there are times where this hopelessness that animates my experience at this moment doesn't come from despair, but rather it comes from the burgeoning sense of life that is mishamesha suba'a, the light that I feel animating slowly, deep from within my experience. That the old myth that the addict or the alcoholic needs to hit rock bottom before confronting recovery Rock bottom doesn't mean that a person loses everything they care about, that they lose their job, that they lose their family, that they lose their relationships. This myth of rock bottom, that a person must lose everything, is responsible for many full deaths of addicts and alcoholics, of family members who have been told by illegitimate professionals or people who are simply wrong that in order for your loved one to get help, you have to wait for them to destroy themselves. Rock bottom is simply a moment of MS. Rock bottom is simply a moment of truth where I'm capable of looking at my circumstances and saying, wow, I do not have control over this. I'm not in charge here. Rock bottom doesn't mean I've lost everything. Rock bottom is a moment of revelation. It's my capacity to look myself in the mirror and say, this is my MS. 
and I'm willing to stare at it and gaze at it in spite of how painful it is. That's what rock bottom means. And it's specifically there at this makom harichuk that a person has the ability to double themselves back up into the world of tshuva. And the Rebbe Rashab says at this point, he says, he says that this feels like a person is losing hope. It's kimiyuyosh benafsho, like a person who has lost hope in themselves. And specifically at that point, drawing down the strength of godliness into my life at that moment is even stronger. Because there are times where yeyosh, where hopelessness, where despair comes, specifically because the greatness of light that can come. And I feel how intense this transition from darkness into light would feel, and I lose hope. And at that point, as margish rak all I feel is my belittlement and my diminishment and my lowly status. And this connection to Hashem at that moment feels like how little relationship I have with godliness. The Rabbi Rashab says, this is what it means to lose hope. How is it possible that I will find myself close to godliness if I've fallen so far? And it's specifically in this pain, in this loss of hope to be better, that the Rabbi Rashab is saying that I can find hope and connection to Hashem. Because when Rabbi Nachman aligns these two statements, of its usur to be miyayesh, it's forbidden to lose hope, implying that losing hope is a possibility. On the other hand, saying that that loss of hope and despair doesn't exist, what Rabbi Nachman seems to be saying, is that even when a person loses hope, even when you acknowledge your powerlessness, even when you throw your hands up to Shemayim and you say, there's nothing that I can do to change myself for the better. The promises that I have made have fallen on deaf ears over and over. It's specifically there that we find that even when we lose hope, that hopelessness doesn't exist. That even within the deepest, darkest pits of the abysmal loss of hope that the addict or the potential addict find themselves in, where they feel that the only hope that I have is an illicit substance, it's specifically there that if we can listen to that silent voice within our spirits, where we come to recognize that even in the place of losing hope, even in the place of yeyush, there's no yeyush. So when Rabbi Nachman says that asur lehit yayish, when the implication is that yeyush exists and despair exists and that hopelessness exists, that gives me the opportunity to lose hope. And then daika, sham, where I lose hope when I have given up on myself, comes along the truth of the matter, which says that even in your loss of hope, even when you feel like you have nothing left, even when you feel you have tried everything to change the course of your behavior, there is a capacity that abides deep within the spirit of each and every individual, an abiding strength of tov, of goodness, of an akuda tova, of a positive point, like Rabbi Nachman says so profoundly in Torah Reish Pebez in the 282nd teaching in the first volume of Lukutim Maharan. Rabbi Nachman says that no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how much hope you have lost, even in your hopelessness, even in the abysmal pits of your despair, you can find positive points. You can find the strength to renew yourself. You can find that irreducible part of your soul, that singularity of your spirit, that yechida hanefesh, which doesn't go away. Or like John Kabat-Zinn says that 
as long as you are still breathing, there is more right with you than there is wrong with you. No matter where a person finds themselves, there is always the ability to say there is more right with me than there is wrong with me. And taking that small point, that nakuda tova, that tiny nakuda, that irreducible place of ode, that moreness in my spirit that I had not paid attention to beforehand, that exists the death of hopelessness. Like the Rebbe Rashab says that it exists that place of death, it's specifically there that I find the capacity to renew my hope in myself. Where I can draw myself based on this tiny nakuda of hope, this nakuda tova that Rabbi Nachman speaks about, and I can draw upon it and I can elevate myself out of the abysmal pits of despair when I realize that even when I lose hope, hopelessness doesn't exist. That even though it appears that hopelessness is an isser, that is forbidden for me to despair, Ein Shem that Rabbi Nachman yells means that even when I despair, there's no despair. Even when I'm powerlessness, even when I confront the limited status of myself, the essential lack that creates who I am as an individual, which tells me that there are things that I cannot do, it's specifically there that I find my power. It's specifically in the abandonment of hope that I find the irreducible aspects of hope, which in spite of my best efforts, I can't get rid of which tell me that in spite of all of it, I have hope. We're going to look at the Beis Yaakov right now in Parshas Vayera. And this is, again, just a source text because the Beis Yaakov speaks about this so explicitly so often. Why is it that Beis Yaakov says that the Jewish people, that the recovering individual needs to be born out of a place of hopelessness, that the mother needed to be barren, that there was no physical capacity to give birth to a child, and it was only through the miraculous intervention of the divine and transcendent essence within the limited realm of imminence that a child was capable of being born. In the Beis Yaakov in Parshat says as follows, he says, Yitzchak needs to be born, this severe soul, the soul of the addict, the soul of the redemption from addiction, needs to be born specifically out of a great concealment. That there needed to be a deep and abiding hopelessness and concealment before the birth of Yitzchak. That Avram and Sarah had completely lost hope in their capacity to have a child. To the extent that there was no capacity for them to hope for redemption. Because the Midah of Yitzchak is the Midah of planting something. And planting and vegetation means that the farmer is capable of losing hope. I plant my seeds and those seeds disintegrate and they become nothing. And specifically at the place of hopelessness, where the effort that I've put in seems to have lost all value, that I believe in the fact that something can grow. That it will grow, grow, grow. And the Beis Yaakov continues and he says, V'zehu raza di Yitzchak, this is the secret of Yitzchak. And this is also the secret of Tchiasamesim, of the redemption and the revitality of the dead. Because death represents lack, it represents absence, it represents hopelessness. Because for the dead individual, there's no hope, there's no sense that something can be born out of this again. It's despair, I have lost hope in my ability to change. I've acknowledged powerlessness. Because if I had a feeling of hope, I wouldn't be dead. I would still be hopeful. But specifically because the person has no hope inside of themselves that they can find life again, 
ומתייאש בעצמו לזה, only when a person has completely lost hope in their, in their ability to change are they considered dead, which is the language of hashpala, of fallenness. Death here simply means hopelessness that we each find ourselves in. But the Beis Yaakov says, and this is the entirety of our shir, Nevertheless, there abides within an individual an irreducible aspect of life that says, even within the pits and the abyss of hopelessness, there's still hope that abides. That even when I've been over the Isser of Vyeyush, that I've lost hope and I've transgressed, not giving in to despair, what I come to find is that after I've fallen, I'm caught in the fact that there's still hope. Even in my hopelessness, there's hope. The kol hayamim shahayanira shemes v'halechlo. And all of those days that appeared to be dead and hopeless and despair, what I will come to find is that I was simply like an individual who was sleeping for a few hours, that had I been woken up out of my sleep and my slumber, I would have girded myself to stand up. And the Beis Yaakov ends as follows, V'zehu sod v'amkus gadol. And this is a deep secret and a deep matter. L'havin zos, eich kazos. How could it be? How is it possible that the person from the perspective of their own consciousness has lost all hope entirely to the point that they had no hope for the future? But God in spirituality, that in spite of the fact that you thought you gave up hope, there was still hope that was driving your hopelessness that there's always an akuda of hope. And it's this nakuda of hope which gives the potential addict or the addict the ability to move forward. And it's specifically in the moment-to-moment -moment experience of hope that we have strength. Rabbi Nassim wrote to his son all the time that there are only two Torahs that you need to work with. You need to walk with Torah Reish Pebez, which says that even in hopelessness there's hope. And you need to walk with the Torah of Reish Ayin Bez, which is Arav, which says that all there is in front of you is this moment. Because if a person can find hope in the moment that they're in, they will be able to strengthen themselves and pull themselves out of the conditionality of addiction and open themselves up to the vistas of recovery and to the vistas of hope that, ex that exceed hopelessness. And next week, Be'ezra Sashem, what we're going to be discussing in the last series of Shirim on addiction is how all of these attitudes, all of these behaviors, all of these conditions that create the potential of addiction are in fact potential or preparations to experience a level of joy, of simcha, of presence in this world that would not have been possible had an individual not been forced to experience this brokenness. That it's specifically through the darkness of this condition that we find our ability to elevate ourselves. And Be'ezer Sashem next week with the ninth shir, we're going to be ending the series of addiction and we're going to try and bring it all together through the story of Rabbi Nachman and his seven beggars of how all of this despair and all of this darkness speaks to a place of a, a light that is so deep that it can't be expressed except by way of darkness. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. 
The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Chef of Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.